0: welcome to the story geek show on today's show we will be discussing what you might call a cult classic one of the strangest musicals of all time if you're if you're willing to call it a musical the blues brothers and if you're listening to the podcast version of this episode i will also include my reaction and review of moon knight episode five which is already on youtube so we won't be discussing moon Knight here because mike hasn't seen moon knight and i'll introduce mike in a minute but uh, so not on today's show, but I, if you're on the, listening to the uh, audio version, the podcast versions, you can hear that as well on today's show. Um, and I will say that I did think that Episode 5 of Moon Knight had some issues. So I give you that warning in advance, because if you want me to only be positive about it, <laughs> I'm not going to be, so don't listen to me. Um, if you only want me to be positive, don't listen to that particular video. I don't want to bring your high down. Um, but I did have some, some issues there. So this show will have spoilers for the Blues Brothers, but it has been out forever. It's been like 40 years since this movie's been out, so we are going to spoil it, but hopefully you've already seen it. I'm Jay Shear, co-writer of Death of a Bunny Hunter and Time Slingers, and this is the Story Geek Show. Joining me on today's show is a good friend of mine, Mr. Michael Biondo. How are you, Mike?
1: Good. How are you doing, Jay?
0: Doing all right. I feel like I'm shouting at you, kind of. <laughs> That's okay. I can't hear. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, and you're the one that brought up... Uh, having Blues Brothers as a major segment of this show. So yeah. this is one of your favorite movies, and we'll get into that. Um, but you may know Mike because Mike is not only one of the top realtors in San Diego County in California, but he is um, also the person who's been watching the Star Wars movies for the first time, yeah. and podcasting about it with me. So we may have some Star Wars questions like sprinkled in here somewhere near the end of the show. Um, because we still have to get him back into, I think the next movie we're supposed to watch is actually, um, Solo, I believe is what the, was on the schedule. The Han Solo. Whatever movie. your list yeah. was, I'll go. Whatever back the back. list is that I think that's what we're going with. So we are, we are doing for the Star Wars show. We are doing the, um, the eras order, which is an order that I created. <laughs> so of course we're going to use my, my order on the, on the, on the show. But, uh, basically what it does is it follows the eras of Star Wars, and but it does start with the uh, original trilogy and then goes solo, uh rogue one, and then and then we go backwards in time, I think. I have to look it up now because I it's like so confusing. But anyways, I think we think you go backwards into to the prequel era. Mm-hmm. Um you may go to the prequel era first and then go I have to check it. We'll pull up the I text. I have to check it. Yeah, we'll pull up the text. <laughs> it's a super old text, so we'll never find it. Um all right, but we're gonna get into the blues brothers now. Um. Now, the Blues Brothers was a film that came out, I believe, in 1980, right? I think so. Yeah, directed by um, John Landis, mm-hmm. classic Hollywood director, very much an quintessential 80s director. Yeah. Um, starring some SNL cast members, Dan Aykroyd, huge mm-hmm. movie star, mm-hmm. huge TV star, and uh, John Belushi. Mm-hmm. Um, and John Belushi obviously tragic because he died early. Um, but these guys were like the quintessential comedians of their time. Um, So pretty big movie. I believe it had the second highest box office, I believe um, to Empire Strikes Back, which is like crazy. Really, Right. I think that's true. I was looking up some facts and figures beforehand and I was mainly, this movie looks so expensive, which I'm sure we'll get into. It looks so expensive to make for an eighties film. Like there's no special effects. These are like, if they're going to ruin 10 police cars, like there's 10 police cars that they (laughs) ruined. Right. Like, and we'll get into that. But like, so I was just, this movie is just so bold. It's so over the top. It's so ridiculous. So here's my first question for you. Okay. This came out the same year as Empire Strikes Back, uh, which was a, a year before Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. So these are huge, like classic movies. Right. Um, a few years before Back to the Future, which I believe was 85. And then Big Trouble in Little China, which is 86. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Big Trouble in Little China was not like some huge blockbuster, but I bring it up specifically because this is just examples of films across the 1980s a whole decade of film Mm -hmm. that just was completely bonkers like the the, what they were able to make as films as like blockbuster movies was like crazy in comparison to what you would have seen in the 70s Mm -hmm. right like it's just a completely different type of filmmaking Mm -hmm. almost um and like the pitch for this particular movie blues brothers is two outlaw brothers need to bring their rhythm and blues band back together in order to save an orphanage like that's the that's the pitch of blues brothers Um, and it feels like it's been a really long time since we've seen films that are this crazy in the theaters like so many films these days are based off a book that was made famous or based off like something else that came before it right Mm -hmm. even toys you know like we we make movies about toys but this was like and and this was based on something because it was based on an snl sketch right um, but they, this exploded into something way, way, way bigger. And I'm hoping this year we get back into this ridiculous kind of movie making. Cause mm-hmm. we do have like everything everywhere all at once is coming out. Um, the unbearable weight of massive talent is out. Uh, and so maybe the pendulum is swinging back to kind of these ridiculous, crazy movies that have bizarre premises. Um, but my kind of question is why, why did we wait so long to bring some of these movies back like why did we wait 40 years and in in between have very few movies that are like just wild and crazy fun for the sake of wild and crazy fun's sake why why didn't we do that like it's weird
1: that's a good question my initial reaction would be that probably because um back in the 80s i assumed that Technology was good enough to make good movies, yeah, but not so good that we can make CGI and all that stuff amazing. Right. And so now that we're in that era, or we've been in that era for a, a while. decade or two, yeah, that movies like Iron Man and yeah. you know the the Marvel Universe and all that kind of stuff are pushing the limits so much, yeah. On the stakes are so high, and right. it's you know it's the saving the world, and it's yeah. you know it's not you know it's not just about like you know the blues band everyday craziness or, you know, yeah, yeah yeah it's not <laughs> yeah. just about that so, so i think we got into that and hopefully as you were saying that we're kind of now getting out of that and maybe bringing some stuff back yeah. or, you know that's my hope but
0: yeah i wonder if there's anything else that has there are like societal factors too and the reason i see, the reason i bring that up cuz i think you're i think you're onto something like mm-hmm. we're when you get into new technologies, it's like, well, let's let's make these things like serious and crazy. Push it to the limit. Yeah. Yeah. And but I'm wondering too if part of it is that in the eighties there was a lot of optimism for what the world was gonna be like. Mm-hmm. But we were still at the beginning of the eighties, especially well, throughout most of the eighties, still in a pretty serious cold war with Russia. Yeah and so i'm wondering if there is something to to do with society as it pertains to the more we see the overarching threat of something as big as like a nuclear war and this how serious that is the yeah. more we want to escape to a craziness in yeah. the movies like right like if there's a kind of a balance there i know that there's um when things are really really good maybe we go moving towards independent films i mean like in the 90s independent films were like the biggest thing around uh-huh. and like they were very small but very serious and very personal i'm wondering if there has something to do with that like when we're in an era of what you would call like stability or even prosperity, Mm -hmm. then we kind of go to stories that make us remember that the world can be a serious place for some people. Yeah. But when we're in a world where it's it's a really serious place for a lot of people, then we go towards the ludicrous. We're like, yeah, just give me something crazy. No, (laughs) I don't even want to deal with this intensity, but, um, but this movie really is truly uh, bonkers. I mean, like now, granted I say that and I say that and I will also say, that it's pretty stunning how well some of it is filmed. Like, in other words, Mm -hmm. what you'd expect to see is bonkers today is like somebody's YouTube channel where they're like doing pranks on each other. And it's like stupid, right? Right. There's no, there's not a lot of, now there are some prank YouTube channels that are like really sophisticated, but a lot of them are just like, let's be dumb on camera and see if people laugh at us. Mm -hmm. This was, this was, let's be dumb on camera and see if people people laugh at us, but also use really good filmmaking techniques. Like the first 10 minutes of this film, there's very little dialogue.
1: Well, I have notes about that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So let's get into yeah. that. Like the well, first 10 minutes, he's like exiting prison. Yeah. And, like, and it's filmed really well. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not like, oh yeah, he's out of prison and like now madness happens.
1: Well, <laughs> and, and starting the movie, unless you know what it's about and how it's gonna be, yeah, you're like, is this like a thriller movie? Right. Is this like a dark, you know? Right. No, it's like a crazy you know
0: adventure movie. <laughs> right you know? It's, it's like yeah you wouldn't know you, you know could be that. like is this yeah. shawshank redemption yeah. or is this yeah, like absolutely. you know like yes. you wouldn't even know um yeah. until he gets to the until he gets to the scene where they're giving him back his property and then you're like well, what am i watching right now right um so yeah like so this is now you know we we've mostly talked about star wars and then one of the things you said to me was i really want to talk about the blues brothers yeah. because it's my favorite film <laughs> so what are some of the things that make the blues brothers your favorite film
1: well i so I'm a musician I'm a drummer and I love the music in the show. Mm. I think uh that for me is the number one draw to the movie is yeah. that it's a musical but it's not really like a sound of music musical you know. Right right. <laughs> it's more like a rock musical.
0: And so And like actually a very serious one. Like in other words like the very serious. I mean, the performances, just like we talked about the opening sequence are taken seriously.
1: Yeah. So the musicians in the band of the blues brothers band are in my mind, some of the top musicians like by far, like they're amazing. Yeah. They're, uh, and they were, they were taken from some from the SNL band. Some, uh, I think, uh, Donald Duck Dunn and Steve Copper came from the MGs. And so there's some really high end performance musicians in the show. And, um, and for me, that was the, a huge draw. And you yeah. got to see them uh, not say act, but more so play their instruments and play right. in the band. And you can see the energy from the band when they play. Um, I think the first time they played was um, – oh, what, what scene was that? I think that was um, – raised music exchange oh yeah yeah yeah. and it's the, first time, the, full that the first time they're playing as a full band first time they actually yeah. sat down because there's um from the magic tones which right. right. Kind of, you know <laughs> but raised music exchange was the first time i think they actually played i think so yeah and you can instantly see how how they were uh um, how much fun they're having and it was infectious just their, their smiles and they're all moving around and yep. to me that was a huge draw yeah and and frankly to me that draws big enough to overlook some of the Maybe imperfections of the storytelling, <laughs> or of the of the movie that that would seem kind of bonkers, as you would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I think
0: some of the some of the bonkersness is just it's just for good fun, right? Like, yeah. like in other words, there are two subplots. And I'm sure you have notes about these. <laughs> there are two subplots that are like. Totally unnecessary for the storyline. Yeah. But they're really funny. Like Carrie Fisher is upgrading all of her weaponry. Like this is Princess <laughs> Leah. Like right. you would have seen her also in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. She's in this film, and her whole role in this film is to try and kill uh Jake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because she used to date him. Right. And she and he kind of like he kind of abandoned her and she's right. like pissed off about yeah. it. And she keeps getting bigger and bigger weaponry i mean she has yeah. like rocket propelled grenades and like yeah. like guns and like just like so now is that a necessary plot of this movie no but it just adds a little bit more flavor and by the way one of the things is it was a really good storytelling technique so it's not only used in the opening sequence so the opening sequence for those of you who who don't remember is where basically jake is getting out of jail and elwood has come to pick him up mm-hmm. And it's this extended sequence. And like we said, you don't realize it's a comedy until he gets to yeah. the booth and like, cause yeah. getting his, 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 his items back. Yeah. Um, by the way, the person credited for giving him his items back is Frank Oz. Uh-huh. And is, I was wondering if that's the same, is that the same guy that does all like the star Wars special effects and stuff? I or, think so. I, I think I, it I is too, but I'm I, not sure. Anyway. So. so, um, somebody will have to tell us in the comments if yeah. they know, if they if know, you know that that's who it us. is. Yeah. Please mm-hmm. let us know. Um, but so like that sequence, there's actually quite a bit of even though it's over the top and ridiculous there's quite a bit of suspense and tension built into the fact that carrie fisher is trying to kill jake mm-hmm. and they don't tell you why so yeah. like the whole time you're wondering until the yeah. very end yeah yeah, yeah you're yeah. like you're wondering like <laughs> what why is this happening and they don't even they don't even break a sweat they just like oh yeah we just almost got killed and they just yeah. move on right it's like so they, they're they not even like worried about it or like concerned so mm-hmm. so then as an audience member you're like I don't understand what's going on, but it is pretty funny. Yeah. Like, so you, yeah. so it breaks up some of these cause they're going to get to another great music sequence, but mm-hmm. in the meantime, they're going to be really funny. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's yeah. like this good, um, it's a very good kind of, uh, way. And then, then the other, um, the other sequence I was thinking that was pretty funny too, that's like completely bonkers and doesn't need to be there is the whole Nazi subplot, <laughs> right? Yeah. Where, um, Illinois
1: it, Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, one exactly. of my lines. <laughs> that's one of the lines you've got this is one of your favorites which is a great line um so actually this is this is a good segue this is not a question i have on my list um i am i do want to know about why it's your favorite movie but bef- but before we get there um i'm wondering if this is a question not as much for you or for me but for a- anybody else listening. Who is a person of color or um part of the black community or something, because it seemed to me like this film was taken out of the eighties. it felt very eighties it's 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 at the it's at the very beginning of the eighties though right because mm-hmm. this is yeah. like so they're they're coming off the decade of the seventies, and I was kind of wondering to myself like it feels like this movie is in some ways an appreciation of black culture and the musicians that are shaping like rhythm and blues at the time. And I wonder if there's anything in the film that the black community would say, or anybody of color would say, I, it's not showcasing us in a favorable light, the Mm -hmm. way I would like it to be. Mm -hmm. Cause there's a couple jokes that are like, they're not. They're not. They're not offensive. I don't. I don't believe they're offensive towards the black community. But they could be too stereotypical, or mm-hmm. they could be something along those lines. But like this film is like a love letter to. Cab Calloway's in it and yeah. performs in yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ray Charles is mm-hmm. in it and performs mm-hmm. in it. John Lee Are, Hooker. Aretha. Yeah. Aretha Franklin mm-hmm. is in it. Like so. So like, to a certain extent, to me, it felt like, wow, this is a film that is really paying homage to some great musicians yeah. that might not otherwise get attention
1: so and that's one of the reasons why i love it yeah um my understanding is that um dan Aykroyd wrote the movie ah and so he had the whole script written and all that kind of stuff and uh he's uh i don't know if anyone knows but he's a huge blues enthusiast ah so he used to run a radio station uh cool. way back in the day um for uh uh paying homage to blues musicians mm. and stuff like that so he's a huge blues musician and my understanding is that he helped john belushi mm. get into the blues
0: oh. way back
1: when. and so they actually formed the blues brothers and they would actually um they actually brought they they brought their album briefcase full of blues out before the movie and so they were touring mm. a, a uh, touring band they toured a couple of times they were a touring and record producing band before the movie no way yeah and they were actually like a legit Band, band. It, the band wasn't put together for the movie. The band was put together for
0: the group. So, so, so John Belushi is really singing. John Belushi is really singing because yeah. he's great.
1: Yeah. So, and and uh, from the light research that I did, I, my understanding is that he actually used to play drums or was in okay. percussion or something like mm-hmm. that. So, some of the bandmates would say that his rhythm is so on point oh, nice. versus other singers that don't have that background. So, yeah. So, Dan Aykroyd wrote. The story wrote hmm. the the script, and he's a huge blues fan. So I think that's where your point comes from that it's not just about rock music or whatever like that. Yeah. But he really dive in and chose, you know, who he wanted to honor and right. and kind of bring those people to the forefront that normally aren't, you know, because face it, blues is not really a um uh, showcased right, you know, right. era of music, right, know? right, so. So, I think the fact that he wrote that really kind of helped to bring out his love of blues to the screen.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Part of it for me was as I was watching it was that a lot of times, one of the things that is brought up frequently, um, by the way, I think I'm going to sneeze at any time. So, <laughs> just letting people know, like, why is Jay keep pitching his nose? Um, one of the things that um, I feel like this movie does really well is that we're in an era. Where we have been made aware of marginalized communities and how Hollywood has showcased them negatively, unintentionally, or not understood their culture, or and and this is not hard to do. Like go back into early Hollywood and you see like a white guy playing an Asian guy, and it's like super offensive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so we know that this is like the history of Hollywood is inclusive of like this this really bad behavior towards Mm -hmm. marginalized communities or people of color or pick pick your different group right like there's been some bad things that have been come out but as i was watching this film and i think the reason i'm bringing this up is because one of the things that i that i reflect on is that i think sometimes part of the reason why movies aren't as bonkers as they used to be is because people are a little bit worried that like well if Mm -hmm. i go too bonkers i might offend some people Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. i'm and and I was watching this movie and I thought to myself, like, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like anybody should be getting offended here. It feels like everyone should be having fun. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. and, and 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 like I'm saying, I'm I'm viewing this from a white male's perspective. So I can't say, like, yeah. it, you might be seeing it from a different perspective, like, dude, you missed it. Like this was really <laughs> offensive, right? Um, but I think that like because even, even some of the jokes that are like maybe like um there's one joke where uh there's a husband and wife who own a diner, and the wife is Aretha Franklin, and the husband is a bass player, I think.
1: No, Matt Guitar Murphy.
0: Oh, okay. So he's a guitar <laughs> player. And um, so you know. No, yeah, no, no. I, I got it. Um, and he says basically something along the lines of like, Woman, you can't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm gonna do whatever mm-hmm. I want, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's just a joke to set up Aretha Franklin song yeah. about women getting respect and yeah. like, you know, so so I think um I think it's interesting. It, it didn't feel to me like, I think you could easily watch big trouble in little China and be like, oh, okay, like this is uh, an entire movie based on a stereotype of yeah. a culture. That's yeah. just not cool. Right. Yeah. Um, it would have been better if like a lot of, a lot more Chinese people were involved in making that film to make sure that it wasn't so like, mm-hmm. you know, although I, although it makes fun of, it makes fun of white people too. Cause he's completely ridiculous. The hero in that movie. But my point is, my point is, is that this movie just seems like it's fun. And so I'm wondering, like, I'm wondering if we're we'll ever get back to an era and maybe we're in that era now with some of the ridiculous movies coming out this year that I was talking about, but I wonder if we'll ever get back to an era where it can just be fun. Yeah. And we're not looking for yeah. things to be like, this is just f-. like, mm-hmm. and, and, and I don't mean that as like, like people are being too negative about movies. I'm not saying that I'm saying, I think the playing field has become difficult to navigate yeah. and, and and that restricts, restricts creativity uh-huh. and sometimes in really good ways so that we don't offend people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm hoping that like people figure out what that playing field is mm-hmm. and then create ridiculous stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what, what were some of the, what, give me some of the quotes that you so had on here that you loved.
1: I thought were hilarious. Yeah. Um, uh, um, oh. <laughs> So, so, uh, Elwood picks Jake up from prison. Yeah. Right. And, and Jake's complaining about the car. He's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it was, it was with the car and, and the band. And he goes, yeah, I haven't really talked to the band. And Jake goes, well, you told me that you talked to the band. We're supposed to, you know, yeah. He goes, well, I, Elwood says, well, I took the liberty of bullshitting you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was awesome. Yeah. that's was really funny. Um, you know, and then the whole, we're on a mission from God thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, um, So it's just stuff like like uh, Bob's Country Bunker. Yeah. How um, you know the, one of the famous quotes was like, Oh, "What kind of <laughs> music do you play here?" Oh, we got both country and western. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. I don't know if you uh, anyone caught it, but when uh, the band's unloading the stuff on the stage, Bob hands um, I think it's um, uh, the sax player the inf- the uh, the set list, and he goes, "I'll get this to you, son, and you're the tallest." Like, and <laughs> what, <laughs> what doesn't make where sense? Where did that come from? You know, like what? That's um, awesome. you know. And stuff like uh, Donald Duck Dunn says with Murph and the Maxitones, He said, talking about getting the band back together." He goes, "Yeah, the band was so good, we could turn go piss into gasoline." <laughs> you know, just stuff like that that's so kind of quick witted and off. Yeah, I, I yeah, it was really, really kind of funny. Which um, was a
0: very quintessential comedic style of the '80s. Yeah, I mean, it was the the '90s kept it around a little mm-hmm. bit, but like when you think about like the naked gun and like airplane yeah. and like yeah. those are movies like the, there's a billion one-liners in those right. movies. Yeah. yeah you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And so like, I don't even remember half the lines you're talking about. Cause you had to watch the movie multiple times to catch, yeah. to pick up yeah. on yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, You, you would get the major jokes, but you don't always get the minor jokes, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then like our, our lady of blessing acceleration, don't fail me now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, Oh, and then, uh, one of the funniest ones I thought was, um, At the very end, when all the cops, cop cars are crashing, everything and John Candy's in the car with the two cops. Yeah. And they're just going off the freeway and they go (laughs) land in the truck in the semi truck. And John Candy, they're all like the hats are upside down. You know, they're all crazy. (laughs) And um, John Candy says, want to hand me the mic? He goes, goes, "Um, thanks. Hi, uh, this is car. What car are we? 55 car 55 we're uh in a truck
0: (laughs) by the way i was surprised to see john candy i I did not realize he was in the film no i didn't know i didn't know and there's (laughs) another there's another quintessential uh 80s comedian right like just another one that's in there yeah yeah um and do do you remember the snl sketch this is based off of so i i don't know that it was
1: I think the band came out first. Okay, and then my understanding was, and I could totally be wrong. Yeah, was that the SNL Mike Laurie producer? Yeah, Mike Laurie didn't want to have Blues Brothers on SNL, oh. and so they kind of pushed him to do a little bit.
0: Oh. And they would actually
1: spend their time more so opening for other comedians. Uh, so that's that's my understanding. I could be wrong. You know, no one knows better. Yeah, but that was my understanding. I have to go back and see if I can find of any clips
0: of when they could have been on the there. Cuff. But so, so what are some of the things you got some quotes there? You love music. What are some of the other reasons that this was like, this stood out to you? When, when did you first see this film?
1: So I remember seeing this film with my dad years ago. Your dad's a musician too, right? Yeah. yeah, He's a drummer too, um, years ago. And he introduced me to all the the greats and everything like that. So to me, it was always just a great, um, uh, a great movie. Um, then I did some research on it. I found out some pretty cool stuff, um, just last week, actually, that uh, when they filmed this, uh-huh. I did the math. Dan Aykroyd was 28,
0: that's crazy, yeah. and
1: John Belushi was 31. Wow, and I always thought that they were Dan was older than John. Oh, really? But, you know, yeah, 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 um, yeah. maybe this because the height. Thing I think
0: he, I think Jake is supposed to be his older brother, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I don't know, so I guess um, it works, but
1: anyway, um, and then at the time, from my understanding, that John Belushi was, um, and so he a uh, recorded briefcase full of blues. Okay. And that went double platinum.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah. And then at that time he was also doing animal house, the movie and on SNL. So this guy That's had uh, uh, like, like record TV and movie yeah. all before he was like 30 or uh, about 30. Around so 30. I was, I, That's I was crazy. phenomenal for him to do that. Um, And so, and, and you're more the story guy than I am on this. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the theme or, or a theme of this is, um, Showcasing how possibly life could be
0: hmm.
1: from their perspective. Yeah. Meaning these are two individuals that hold their goals and their ambitions above any other law, any <laughs> other, obviously, right? Any other right. social um rules and regulations or anything like that. Right. Because yeah. their goal is to get the band back together, get the money to bring it to the County County Recorder's office or whatever to right, right, right. keep the orphanage open and everything that they do in the movie I think showcases that they don't care about the law <laughs> even when they're pulled over and and um, Elwood gets pulled over right in the beginning yeah and. And he's like, oh, they got scars or whatever the- Yeah, the yeah, yeah, Schmats. Was. Schmats. yeah. Yeah, and his rap sheet's like so long. He's like, nah, whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's just go. You know, yeah, like yeah, he just takes yeah, off.
1: Yeah. and they're driving through the mall. Oh, by the way, I have a story about that mall scene. Yeah. Um. So uh, I thought it was so awesome, even as a high school student. So I was in a film class in high school. Yeah. Where you would just like uh, dissect film or bring film in and showcase them. Nice. And part of the project was you would bring one in. Yeah. And you'd show like a 10-minute or 15-minute Clip of a movie, yeah, and you're uh, you talk about what you like about something like that, so they get right. two a day, and I was the second person to go on this day, <laughs> and the that's... first person brought in this very um like serious discussion, you know, like yeah. uh, a couple's breaking up or whatever like that. Very like yeah. a yeah. heartwarming kind of, you know, sad, <laughs> you know, serious thing. And my, my the film teacher was like, Oh, it's nice that we can showcase something that's just like subtle and like very well done. And, you know, <laughs> cinematography, blah, 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 you know, yeah. and then I bring in, he not knowing that I was going to bring this in. Yeah. So I brought in the scene, the movie, uh, the mall chase nice. <laughs> I played it. And he goes, well, they pretty much just shot my last, you know, <laughs> my last day right out of the water yeah but yeah. i thought it was so cool um from my understanding they actually uh had an abandoned mall and they filled uh, it with all those stores and all those products so they could then drive through it crazy and um and uh and do it and then i don't know if people notice but like little things like the the car's turning upside down yeah at the very oh end, yeah yeah yeah. and the guy's like he broke my watch he goes i'm gonna get that guy if it's the last thing i do right yeah yeah and if you notice right when he says do that's right when they start off on um i think it was a, uh, uh, Peter Gunn theme or something like that. De- oh, De- 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 nice. You know? And the, the sequence is just right when he says do is when the music starts. So yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Very well timed, very well done, I thought.
0: The music is pretty amazing.
1: The music is phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah,
1: I, I think it's great. Um, you know, but... But back to their theme of they don't care about yeah. what happens, you know, like even picking Jake up from jail, yeah, he like screeches off, like yeah, you know, like you think <laughs> if he's got that rap sheet and he's at <laughs> right. jail, there's probably a lot of cops around you try safe, put a seatbelt on it, you know,
0: right, right, or right. like
1: a grandma, not like a right, right, kid. right. Um, you know, and it's just they just they don't care what wake is left behind them, yeah, because their whole goal is to get that money, even at the end of the movie when they're uh boxing in all the, the doors behind them oh, trying yeah. to get you know, <laughs> yeah, <yeah, yeah>, yeah. <laughs> that ridiculous stuff. Uh, they're, they're like doing that, knowing they're not going to get out. Right.
0: Like Right. They're, right. They're barricading
1: right. themselves in. Right. They're and once they get, once journey. they get that goal done, I don't care what happens to us. Yeah. You know, so.
0: So this is an interesting point. Cause one of the questions I have on here was, um, we talked a lot about this on the show, but why do we root for certain characters? Right. Mm-hmm. And, so, I think what you're bringing out is these are two outlaws. They are definitely um, doing things that are vastly problematic, right? Yeah, yeah. However, to your point, there's two reasons I think we root for the Blues Brothers. The first is if you take um, any of the, the most vulnerable people on the face of the planet, mm-hmm tend to be orphans usually widows and orphans they are usually considered some of the most vulnerable people Mm -hmm. on the planet they're fighting for orphans Mm -hmm. they were orphans now they're fighting for orphans right yeah so it's kind of like well what in the world is going to prevent them from getting what the orphans what they would need yeah so then who are they fighting against now the police are used as like just cartoons effectively right <laughs> it's, they're, they're not really like uh and, and by the way the police are not they're not um i don't want to i don't want i'm going to use the word disrespected but there's probably some people would say like they're disrespected. I, I i imagine if you're a police officer you don't watch this movie and think like oh i'm so offended you know what i mean like usually
1: w- usually cops are the ones you're rooting for
0: usually usually cops are the ones you're rooting for but here it's not like we're it's not like we're anti-police yeah Right, like there's no point yeah. in the movie where yeah. we're like, "Well, John Candy's a big jerk, and right, we're not going right, to root right, for him." Right. more. even the two guys like that are trying to to get to get them and bring mm-hmm. them in. We're not. We don't. They're not portrayed as villains. No. they're not portrayed as like no. the bad guys. They're just like we don't want them to get these guys because we want these guys to help the orphans. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they do it in such a way that's it's like it's fun instead of offensive. Right? right. Right. The other thing that I think so that, that's the one category is that who they're fighting for. Mm-hmm is heroic but because they're willing to do anything to get it Mm -hmm. including break the laws of society Mm -hmm. even though nobody dies yeah right well maybe there's two characters that die. yeah Yeah. but i'll get to that in a minute yeah um they're kind of anti-heroes right Mm -hmm. like we're like they're heroes but they're not abiding by they're they're doing things that are selfless but they're actually people who would prefer to be selfish, which is sort of like the anti-hero definition, yeah, right? Yeah. Then, then, who their ultimate enemies are are the ultimate bad guys, which is yeah. the Nazis. And so we kind of know, like, okay, mm-hmm. these guys are not—they're not villains because mm-hmm. that's the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Those are what they show us the Nazis are the villains. Yeah. They're not the—they're not the heroes because the heroes are the the most heroic character in the movie is probably Cab Calloway right like mm-hmm. he doesn't disobey the law yeah, yeah. but he does help the orphans like yeah. he's the most heroic of the right, of the, right. all the characters um and so it seems to me like because of those things they become the anti-heroes that we want to root for yeah. i mean is that kind of like well, what your feeling is
1: i i feel like there there's so many um i not say protagonists that they're fighting against yeah 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 so i noted that they're fighting against the county assessor that's kind of the person that's <laughs> right, right. now causing the problem it's government. yeah <laughs> you know, yeah yeah whatever yeah um uh carrie fisher mm. who by the way i don't think even has a her character doesn't have a name
0: i don't think so either yeah
1: and and and, and a side note that during this time yeah i believe dan Aykroyd was actually dating her oh really or they were briefly engaged as well really And there's a line in the very end when they're in the tunnel and she's like trying to shoot at him. yeah 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 and um and he says who is she
0: <laughs> I thought it was so, so ironic that yeah, Dan Arkwright yeah. would
1: say that because they're probably dating. They're dating. At yeah, the time. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Anyway, so there's Carrie Fisher, there's the Nazis, there's a the law enforcement. Yeah. And then there's the good old boys and Bob. Oh, yes. And the country Bunker.
0: And the good old boys are definitely villains. Yeah. Because those guys, you're, you're like, you're not rooting for them at yeah. all. You're like, these guys are jerks. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: and then the other thing that I thought was really interesting was, um, I feel like Jake and Elwood's, um, intelligence was way understated. Uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think they're very smart yeah. at, their, at their own things, you know, yeah. uh, to be criminals like that, you know, <laughs> mis- mischievous criminals, I guess you could call them. You yes, know, They're yes. not murderers and stuff. Right, right, you know, right. Well, um, that's another thing.
0: They, they couldn't have done anything so bad that we would yes, then stop rooting yes, for them. Yes. So, yeah. But
1: like, for instance, when they get to Chase Paul. Yeah. Shay Paul. I'm not French.
0: She Paul. <laughs> <laughs> <She-Paul>. <laughs> <laughs> when yeah. they get to the French restaurant or Mr. Yeah. Fabulous. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They order a Freedom Fries. Yeah, yeah. No, i <laughs> <laughs> When well, they get there
1: and they instantly know what to do.
0: Oh yes. To
1: put on that charm and or or take the charm off you yeah, know, yeah you know yeah, yeah, and yeah. offend everyone to get him you know <laughs> right. or when the good old boys show up outside of bob's country bunker yes jake immediately turns on well i'm with the 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 music, musicians union yeah yeah Do you yeah. had the cards you know like right 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 he's just so smart at all that kind of stuff yeah but yet he can't seem to get out of this criminal <laughs> lifestyle <you laughs> right, know? right right right
0: um he takes the he What's interesting about it is, and this is true of maybe a lot of con con men and con women, but they take the they take the easy route to try and get quick money, but they end up on a very difficult route to try and convince everybody right. that they're a con person, like right. they're not a con person. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, it's definitely. I mean this is what we're talking about like so the like for those of you who have seen this movie but haven't seen it in a long time i mean watch it again basically yeah go watch it again but like also like basically two guys get out of jail they're basically sort of deadbeat musicians who used to have a band Mm -hmm. but the band wasn't doing very well and in order for them to like try and keep performing they tried to steal some money here and there they tried to like grift some people out of yeah. things and then they got put in jail and now they're the orphanage that they grew up in is is going to be taken over by the county assessor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they need to pay five thousand dollars it's only five thousand dollars by the way it's not even that much money <laughs> um they're like, go fund me they have it, like, tomorrow yeah you know? um but the they and so they say let's get the band back together and let's go play our music at various places mm-hmm. um so that we can earn. Money, yeah, but then even that ends up being an entire grift of everyone, an entire con well, to get well, the five thousand dollars. At
1: first, Jake's like to the penguin, you yeah, know? yeah, 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 <laughs> He's yeah. He's like, oh five grand, no problem. I'll get you tomorrow." Yeah, and she's like, "I don't want your stolen money."
0: Yes, and yes. so
1: he was initially going to go, "Oh, I'll go rob something." Yeah, or, I don't yeah, know what yeah, he was yeah. yeah. Um, but and then that's when the kind of sends them, uh, and they talk to Cab Calloway, <laughs> and he gets them to the church. yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's where Jake has this epiphany which is kind of right. funny so the church scene was a great scene and I, my understanding is is that i think that was Oh one we of,
0: forgot we i forgot um James um uh, what's the the, the preacher Cleophas Brown Yeah, but, James Yeah, but, but, no no but what's the what's the preacher James Brown, James Brown. Yeah James I forgot the up James Brown I yeah. can't believe I forgot James so, Brown So
1: um uh he has this like awakening or whatever yeah, yeah, the church yeah. which is crazy because the whole church scene um People are like jumping, like, like, <laughs> yeah. is there trampolines there? Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> like yeah, yeah, doing yeah. backflips to the ceiling and stuff. Yeah, anyway, that was awesome. so, so Jake has to have this big awakening. Uh, and right. and the music stops. And like James Brown's like, do you see the eyes? Do you see the light? Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It was just kind of crazy. And then he does this whole dancing thing and then he gets back and he all he has to do to convince Elwood is like two lines, a band. <laughs> The band,
0: <laughs> the band. <And> it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do it. You know, <laughs> like, which well, was kind of what Elwood wanted to do, anyways. So, right? I, so,
1: I always thought in the beginning of the movie, the first, leading up to this part, yeah. that Elwood was the catalyst to Jake being a better character.
0: Uh... So
1: Elwood kind of. Picked him up from jail, yeah, took him yeah, into yeah. his house. Right. You know, my bed, you know. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. took him in his house and picked him up like an orphan. Right. And then uh took him to church and he took him to the nun. He's right. like, You have to go. To, I don't you want to go. You have to go. To, see, yeah. have to go. Yeah, I don't yeah, yeah, want to, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So he's the catalyst. Now, once Jake, at this point, now they got on the same level.
0: Yeah. Now together
1: they can go together and get it. Oh, that's you good. know, yeah. get what they want done. Um, so yeah, the church scene was awesome. I really like. Can th- I just
0: tell you my funniest scene? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. My funniest scene is when they go to see the nun, who they call the penguin. I know what you Which is hilarious. Say. And the whole time, the, they are basically being sacrilegious and like using the Lord's name in mm-hmm, vain mm-hmm. And, and cursing. And she's just hitting them, but every time she hits them, they say another word. Yeah, so yeah, it's just, that's the funniest scene well, and in you my what? opinion. I think that goes
1: back to them holding their values above anyone else oh yeah
0: and yeah, they're yeah. like
1: i'm saying these words i don't know why you're hitting me yeah, these are yeah, fine yeah, words yeah, yeah. i don't care what you think this right. is what i want to say <laughs> right. and that's how they live their life i'm, right, I'm right. gonna drive 100 miles an hour i don't care that's that's not the speed limit i'm gonna do it anyway you know right 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 <laughs> um and another thing too when they're just before the mall scene when they stop for the um um they stop the car uh-huh. and soothe me from Sam and Davis playing. Oh, yeah, yeah, As soon as he puts it in park, yeah. the music stops. Oh, like nice. it just they line the music up so, so well right there. Um, yeah, it's the last thing I ever do. A Peter Gunn theme starts right then and there. Um, so, one thing that I read is that um, I don't know if you noticed, but they parked the car in uh-huh. the high voltage parking garage oh. or whatever back at Elwood's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that. From the script, from Elwood's perspective mm-hmm. or or Don perspective, is that's what gives the car its powers
0: uh, because it's in this. So
1: it's almost like the car is its own character uh, in the no movie that's funny. because it gives it its own powers, which is why it can fly. Or you know. Ackroyd
0: loves that stuff because he, it's the same thing with the Ghostbusters.
1: I was gonna say it's the same yeah. thing. He's got a, like a formula. Yeah, uses. yeah, that's yeah. great. You know. Yeah. But um, and then at the very end when they get to the county assessor's office, yeah do you notice the car just collapses oh no like, yeah yeah that. the car just like falls apart oh, no way. and it's symbolic of i think that character dying because it's reached its goal as uh, to yeah. where it needs to go it yeah. delivered yeah, yeah, you know yeah. the blues brothers and right. it's done you know yeah, that's crazy so anyway i thought that was really interesting um we first get a look at elwood's eyes when he goes into work at 43 minutes in is the first time that we see either Jake or Elwood's eyes. Oh, no way. Yeah. i and, never noticed that before. Yeah, and so um, I've, I've heard another podcast talking about this where they're like, as a producer, how do you how do you um, consult with actors on how yeah. to perform right. when usually a lot of people get their eyes. You, know, yeah. you look in the camera and yeah. your eye contact is important. This, they had no eye contact for, Interesting. Those characters for the first what half of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And then Jake's eyes aren't released until the very end with um, Carrie Fisher oh,
0: when he's like, baby,
1: I'm yeah. sorry. And he pulls his glasses off. That's right. So those two characters have glasses the whole time before that. Wow. Um. Uh, Bones, their are uh, Some of my favorite lines is they go going to uh, interview Bones Malone and uh, Blue Lou Marini's old landlord, yeah, yeah, landlady. Yeah, yeah. And she goes, Are you guys police? And they go, No, we're musicians. <laughs> but so I thought it was strange that the trombone player, Bones Malone, and Lou, Blue Lou Marini yeah. were living together, mm. even though Blue Lou was working at McIntyre Murphy's Cafe. Right, right. And uh, Bones Malone was was playing with Magic Tone. Or, uh murph of the magic tones right so that was kind of right so they right, worked right. t- together um and then the last note of peter gunn theme uh theme song was when uh, it's de d-accelerando yeah and that's when elwood parks the car and stops it
0: ah uh, I mean. nice 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 um so um
1: by the way you, i thought
0: of another show yeah you probably haven't seen this I thought of another show that's kind of ridiculous like this, and it's it was the show Peacemaker on HBO Max, okay. which is about a character from the Suicide Squad that got his own show. And the reason why it made me think of it because you were talking about mm-hmm. Peter Gunn, mm-hmm. unrelated, I believe, but James Gunn is the director of Peacemaker. He's also the one that directed Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, and so he has in Peacemaker and Guardians of the Galaxy, he has like this. He wants to pay homage to the classic rock Mm -hmm. so he always has classic rock in all of his soundtracks yeah so there is something coming out of that era like people who were heavily influenced by that era yeah are the ones who are still doing kind of ridiculous movies today yeah so so i don't know what it was about that time frame that it made people say like let's just i do know this i do know this this is true from a storytelling standpoint i know that and i've heard people talk about this people who worked in the 80s as script writers Mm -hmm. or producers or whatever they were looking for scripts that had a wider range of emotions than a lot of what you would see on television or in movies today. Mm. So in other words, what I mean by that is they wanted you to cry, but they also wanted you to laugh and they wanted Mm -hmm. you to be thrilled and they wanted you to also be scared. And they also, Mm -hmm. I mean, so, so that's difficult to do in a movie. Cause like, how do you, how do you hit all in all of those emotions? But the movies that I brought up earlier, all do that. Mm -hmm. Raiders of the lost Ark does that. Like, um, back to the future does that mm-hmm. uh empire strikes back does that right mm-hmm. now some of them don't do some of the emotions as well as others yeah. right like so star wars isn't like really funny you know yeah. what i mean um whereas like back to the future is at parts really funny yeah. this movie is at parts really funny so it's you know it's not like it's like not like the but today what you'll see is you go to see the batman i don't know you probably haven't seen the I batman yet, yet no well, it is dark. And is, there's is no comedy in the background. Yeah. Like there's not even a moment you're supposed to laugh at that I'm aware yeah. of, you know? Yeah. So like movies these days they they will try to capture a tone and they'll stick with the tone. But movies in the 80s a lot of times if you go back and watch them, they'll play with like three or four tones throughout the entire mm-hmm. film. Like mm-hmm. they so it was a different kind of movie making experience. They were trying to it was almost it's almost more of like it was like just almost totally feelings based. Like, let's just give you a range of emotions in two hours and see what we can do.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I read somewhere that, um, In the cafe. Yeah. So, so first of all, Jake orders four fried chickens. (laughs) Yeah, he does. (laughs) She's like, you want wings or thighs or no four fried chickens. (laughs) And Elwood has, um, um, Toast. white toast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but Elwood, there's a couple of toast scenes with yes. Elwood yeah. throughout the What's movie. What's that about? Uh, it's just, I guess this is his <laughs> is joke. His thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah. In, in his bedroom, yeah. he's making white toast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he orders it there and obviously McIntyre Murphy knows who it is from his Yes, order. yes, yes. And then if you notice in Race Music Exchange, Yes. they're all looking at, music, at the at the instruments. Yeah. Elwood's over at the toaster oven trying to put his bread <laughs> in the toaster oven to no, cook white toast hilarious. at Race Music you know? yeah, <laughs> Or funny. Or another thing I noticed was at um the chaise uh chaise paul where they're yeah. at the restaurant yeah yeah jake's talking to alan rubin the mr fabulous the yeah um, yeah, yeah. The Major d there yeah and elwood's over at the china cabinet like trying <laughs> to see if he can open it to like <laughs> uh steal some china or something yeah, like, yeah. It's like a little kid so you know?
0: <laughs> i think it's awesome i wonder why so going back to just, just rewinding a little bit yeah i wonder why they kept their sunglasses on the whole time and i wonder what they were trying to reveal their eyes what purpose they were trying to reveal their eyes for. So
1: Elwa's eyes were revealed because he was working and, and he worked at a factory with made the glue.
0: Yeah. So it's almost like, it's almost like what they're trying to suggest is that like, they're almost less of themselves when they take off their glasses because they don't get to be who they really want to be. they true selves. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. He's he's stepping out of what he wants to do right. to just pay the bill or whatever. Right. Um. And then – And Jake uh, isn't Jake suited is to like, be married. Yeah, so yeah I, like, I, don't, I don't really love you, but I don't yeah. want to die right now. So, you <laughs> right, know. right, right. And then he kisses her and he just drops her. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's so uh, crazy. You know, and just stuff – So what I was talking about earlier about how, for me, the band makes up for some of the yeah. faux pas yeah, or whatever yeah, – yeah. For instance, they're all outside Bob's Country Bunker. Yeah. And there's two cars. There's two sedans, right? Yeah. There's the Bluesmobile and Murph and the Magic Tones' car. Right. And apparently those two cars carried all the guys and their equipment. Yeah. I don't know any musicians out there, especially as a drummer. Yeah. You know, I can fill a truckload with just the <laughs> right. drums. You know, Right, right, right. Much less all the guys. And then they take off. Murph and the Magic Tones take off. Yeah. And leave the Bluesmobile with just Jake and Owen. Right. So they fit eight guys <laughs> and all and the equipment car. in a little one sedan, you <laughs> right. know? So that's the kind of stuff I was like.
0: This is why the Bluesmobile is magical um one
1: thing I noticed too that I thought was really interesting is they're in the sauna yeah. with Sline their uh booking agent if you will oh yeah yeah. owed them a favor and first of all, I thought it was funny that they actually panned out at the very end you can see all the band members on the side in the sauna with them oh really it, yeah. Oh, yeah I didn't see that yeah. <laughs> so um it, the it shows Jake and Elwood and uh um I what, was, Slime. what was his first name anyway. I don't remember um that. Um anyway, he's sitting there they're talking to a conversation. He's like, You owe us, man, you owe us a gig. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, I I I got you, I got you that girl, and you know, Mrs. Sline wouldn't want to know that I got you that girl, so he's <laughs> a little blackmail to get him. Right. And so they um what they're talking about, and which means a lot, I think, is that Sline is saying, like, guys, no one wants to hear the blues. Uh,
0: like no one wants
1: you guys to play live, like yeah. everyone's in disco now, or yeah, they're into yeah. you know, whatever. Um, uh, rock or you know yeah and I I think as a blues enthusiast I think it's tough because I feel that's a theme across the board is that blues venues are uh they're underrated or they're they're yeah. not as well known or you know you got to seek them out more right so anyway I thought that was kind of interesting but the funny part was at the end of that scene that pans out and it's not just Jake Elwood and slime in there it's actually the whole band is on the side yeah yeah they're just waiting for Jake and Elwood to make the deal you know? so, <laughs> and that was pretty funny um you know and then when they get to the gig and it's... Um,
0: the big gig at the end. Yeah. In the ballroom. Yeah, and yeah. they're
1: waiting, waiting, and breaking out with to the moocher. Yeah,
0: And yeah, I was yeah. like,
1: well, a little explanation would have been nice as far as did they change, like they instantly changed into white tuxes and white, oh, you yeah, know, yeah, classic yeah, yeah. bandstand. And The drum set was even different. It was a yeah. red drum set early, now it's a white drum set, you know. <laughs> right. And then within a beat, in the middle of the song, at the very end, they changed back into their Oh! Their, their regular um, get-ups. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I was thinking... I thought, is is this the imagination of the mm. band or of Cap Calloway uh, or of interesting someone that they're they're really playing the song? Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Original yeah, get ups. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. They're yeah. just that's interesting.
0: It. So that would be that's really interesting. So the question the question there too is like is that just 80s movie magic like it doesn't matter it's just more that's just more to be entertained
1: these are the things that i overlook because i love the show so much yeah yeah, as a storyteller i'd imagine like well hang on
0: yeah wait a minute you know but but maybe maybe the thing is too is as a storyteller you're like look the emotion is more important than the logic
1: yeah because if they, if they
0: switch over at the end and it's like oh that's cool like i love seeing them in this context Maybe we don't care about the logic anymore. About like how they That's did it. It's like, Who that cares? This,
1: this makes up. The, yeah, the yeah, yeah. You yeah. Have or the interest in the music you have makes up for right. whatever it was. So one thing that I did really think was very interesting mm-hmm. is the very end. And I bet you didn't notice this, which I'm really. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, see we'll see. <laughs> Mr. Storyteller um, <laughs> is uh, the record label guy behind stage. They're playing the gig. Oh and yeah. Like, Hey, there's a lot of cops out there. We yeah. got to get out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, Oh, I was head bouncer. So that record guy, he was saying, Hey, I'll give you a
0: uh, 10,000
1: advance on recording you. Oh, I, oh I yeah, record yeah, you. yeah. I remember 10 yeah, yeah, yeah. right now. Yes. To yes, record yes, you. yes. Yes. Um,
0: and he asked for something different. Doesn't he?
1: No, he they, they said, "Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. We need the money. We'll yeah, give yeah, it to yeah. the orphanage yeah. and the band, but we got to get gotta right, out of here cuz we got to sneak out the right, back." Right, 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 The back thing. Right. So this guy says, um um wants to record Blues Brothers. Jake says, "Bullshit." And he says, "I don't bullshit." In the beginning of the movie, uh so so the guy says, "I don't bullshit." So but in the beginning of the movie, Elwood talks about
0: bullshitting Jake. Yeah, 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 yeah. So
1: I'm thinking this is character development. That they're now jumping on board with this guy who doesn't do what they did in the beginning of the movie.
0: Oh, interesting. An alternate an alternate view on that. Okay. Because of how if you ever hear anybody talk about the music industry, which I'm not an expert in, so don't listen to me. Don't don't (laughs) listen to me. But if you ever hear anybody talk about the music industry, they're usually very negative about it. So another alternative take is that Elwood is trying to give jake hope while he's in jail and so the bullshit is an acceptable form of giving him hope Mm -hmm. but the record executive is just totally lying like all other record executives Mm. might be lying right so it's almost like if you admit that you're that that you're bullshitting people then you have integrity yeah but if you say i would never bullshit you and you're a record label executive yeah. in the '80s, you're probably well, lacking integrity. <laughs> but, I mean, but he gave him 10k. He did cash give him 10k. Right there. He did give him 10k. And, so, and
1: for the Blues Brothers, they're like, good enough for us. I don't care. Well, what, you okay, know. So, so here's
0: a here's a question. I haven't seen Blue, Blues Brothers 2000, which is the sequel. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, but I haven't seen that in like, yeah, probably since 2000. Yeah. Like, I've only seen yeah. it maybe one time, and I don't even remember it. Yeah. Are they signed to a record label in that film?
1: Nah, not, not that I'm aware okay. of okay. Because
0: what I would wonder is if they if that were if they were thinking about a sequel in which the record label was gonna like mm-hmm. be because it seems like it would make good sense for the sequel to the blues brothers, this this blues brothers, nineteen eighty mm-hmm. blues brothers, for the sequel to be like them against the record label it would be like a pretty good sequel. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how that would all kind of shake out.
1: There's a lot of drama with Blues Brothers two thousand. Was there? And so a lot of People who love Blues Brothers yeah. don't like Blues Brothers 2000. Uh, I like it in the sense that it's another version of the band playing together again. Right, right, right. Which is my whole. So thing. So you like the music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. New songs, you know, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, same yeah. band, um, uh, but they added a kid. You uh, know, then they added an ex-cop who came in and uh, John Goodman and stuff like that. So it wasn't the traditional Jake and Elwood. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And some well, people, they couldn't
0: use John Belushi. Obviously, obviously. So who is who's the James? Belushi? No, no. Um, oh, that would be cool. Well,
1: they actually. So he actually is doing some stuff with Elwood as Blues Brothers uh-huh. now. Like they're they're touring, or there's a oh really a band? Yeah, he actually is. Yeah, no and, way. Uh, no, Jim. Uh, yeah, Jim. Yeah, 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 yeah. James. Yeah, and um, there was actually a cartoon Blues Brothers that really? came out for like half a season or something like that. Yeah. And I think it was with like Dan Aykroyd's brother and John Belushi's brother. Oh, and so you know, so some of this okay. stuff never quite cut off. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's. It's the, the hard to beat the original. You know? It's <laughs> hard to beat the original. It's
0: always hard to beat the original. Yeah, yeah. And
1: I think my understanding is is that when they came to do Blues Brothers two thousand, is that um, the the network came back with all these uh, list of the bands. Okay, okay. You know, you got to include a kid. You got to, you know, you got to have the same plot line or whatever it was. So it's basically the same plot. Yeah. Of Elwood putting the band back together right, for right, 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 an accomplished right, right. goal. Right. You know. So it.
0: Let me run this by you and see if this is, and we can, we can start to close out in a minute here, but. I got questions me, for you. Oh, you have some questions for me? Good. Yeah. I have one more question for you before we before we get into your questions. And that is, is there a way or a reason this isn't basically just an adult Disney movie? It's like basically a Disney movie. with Because <laughs> like, basically what you're doing is you're saying we have, now granted they're anti-heroes and a lot of, but I mean, It's very similar to like an Aladdin, right? Like where he's fighting for the right thing, even though he's against the people Mm -hmm. that are in power. Mm -hmm. And then there's music every once in a while Mm -hmm. sprinkled Mm in. Mm -hmm. Um, This to me seems like it's a Disney movie for adults.
1: Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. (laughs) I would think this is almost. So for me, if you took the music away from this. Yeah. This would be a very dull
0: movie from oh yeah 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 you totally know? agree because so it's not funny enough for, to yeah. watch it only for the comedy yeah, yeah yeah
1: and if they're if they're their way to get the money was some other way of working or yeah you know, yeah yeah, yeah, he, yeah you know it wouldn't
0: work it wouldn't yeah yeah yeah, but yeah this is
1: so interesting because the music for me is yes i totally agree the awesome
0: part. The, the music is what makes the movie a classic
1: yes yes
0: not anything else
1: yeah yeah um so there's a couple, a lot, a lot of questions I have. I don't want to go through all these. Um, if you were to write a prequel to this, mm. what would you focus on, or how would that look?
0: Interesting. Well, you definitely don't want to go back to the time when they were kids because that that'd would be make that would be a weird. It'd be yeah. weird, right? Yeah. Um, I think what could be an interesting prequel to this, though is we know that Jake was in prison because he stole some things from a, I think he stole it from a grocery store or a gas gas store. store, Yeah. yeah. Gas station. Okay. I think uh, a more intriguing prequel would have been that they got him on the gas station charge, but it was more of like some big heist movie where they were like breaking into Fort Knox or something, (laughs) but it was a musical. Like they had to, like they had to get like, get all like maybe, maybe the, maybe they were playing a gig at, and, and they were transferring a bunch of the gold from Fort Knox to somewhere else. Mm -hmm, And like, they found mm -hmm, that they had all the money mm -hmm. and then you would have to give them a reason for needing that money too. Like maybe it was like, they were going to build another orphanage or something like that. Yeah. But I think that could be a good prequel because it'd basically be like, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of a disservice to Jake and to Elwood that they had these like extreme rap sheets and extreme prison. Like, yeah, but it seemed like it was like small time, like kind of dumb things. Yeah, Cause like you said, they seem really smart. Yeah. So it would be more fun to see them be doing some like big heist thing that's really smart yeah it's like I oceans see. 11 yeah. meets blues brothers you know like something like that i think is yeah. what i would yeah. want to see um what about you what would you want to see
1: i i thought about this i would like to see of course as as the band yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> i like to see the band in their initial stage
0: uh, like
1: like we hear about how great they were yeah in the beginning and yeah. how and um there's a line or something that jake's saying you know when the band's pumping and the the crowd's rocking and yeah. like he's a good salesman you know yeah yeah and so to 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 see that in the in this infancy yes. you know like uh they're obviously young adults here maybe they're teenagers or maybe they're you know right, whatever right. it is to see them in their heyday would be awesome for that me. would be
0: awesome yeah um
1: so um do you think their childhood is the same as them as adults Always trying to get around the law, holding their whole their goal above everyone else.
0: I think it has to be at least similar, and yeah. I'll tell you why. Because I don't think the movie works if they don't seem like kids. I think they're like kids. Yeah, yeah, they're like kids. Yeah, yeah. They act like kids, yeah. and so it. I mean, a lot of the '80s movies, the reason that they work is because we put ourselves in the place of innocence. <laughs> if you didn't, you're like. So a lot of a lot has been talked about, and a big joke is that like, how in the world is Marty friends with Doc? Yeah, because it's so creepy. You know, like in any other situation, and they it's don't creepy. explain it. They don't explain. It. <laughs> yeah, and I think that like, I think that like, that's kind of one of the things that you're you're expected to show up with. I'm here for a good time. I'm not here to question question yeah. like what people's motivations are. I'm just here to say like, is this is this movie trying? is it trying to be offensive or is it trying to like present like everybody has a good time? Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty obvious that everyone's supposed to have a good time. And it's mm-hmm. only because we can just look at them and be like, man, I want to hang out with them. Yeah. You know, as soon as yeah. I don't want to hang out with those guys, then they're super bad criminals that I just right. are the worst. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So.
1: And then last question, do you think that Jake and Elwood have changed from the beginning of the movie to the end? Oh, of the this is a great question. This is a
0: great question. In some ways, yes, actually. In some ways, no. I think. So there's one, there's the the moment, there's a moment in the movie. And again, this is really random because it's like a super, super, super like subplot that like doesn't go anywhere. But after they got Jake out of prison, they're just driving along (laughs) and they're like. They're like, Oh, there's a big traffic jam. Like, and they're like, Why is there a traffic jam? And the cops like, because the Illinois, Illinois Nazis are here, you know, or whatever. And the Illinois Nazis have blocked a bridge mm-hmm. and so they can't get past. Mm-hmm. And Elwood's just like, I've had it with this, and just guns it. Like, mm-hmm. there's and he in in he guns it in such a way that if it weren't cartoons and this weren't innocent, yeah, like it looks like he's trying to kill people, right? Right. But we know it's a cartoon, we know it's innocent, we know like people are not likely to die um and so when the nazis like jump off the bridge it's like okay like that was funny not like horrific that that this happened yeah
1: not i mean (laughs) it was was a 10-foot bridge not a 100-foot bridge yeah exactly (laughs) exactly
0: and at the end of the movie it is highly likely that two of the nazis do die but like they're like the scum of the earth kinds of people so you're like kind of like okay it is what it is or whatever right um you kind of go along with it because it's very cartoonish again yeah there's, there's times in cartoons where characters probably died, but you laugh because they're cartoons. Just like the road Runner. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's that kind of thing. Um, I think the, I think that in the beginning of the film, Jake and Elwood are struggling with whether or not they should be selfish. Mm-hmm. Especially Jake. Jake's yeah. kind of like, dude, we got to get the band back together and like do the same old things that we were doing before, which were bad things. Yeah um and elwood's kind of like no you got to go see the nun yeah you do go see the penguin jake is jake by the way does not want to go to church he does not want to have anything to no, do with it he's it's like bad. i'm a, i'm actually anti all yeah. of this thing
1: so was so actually really quick yeah. one of the scenes that elwood didn't have that yeah. was supposed to be in the movie oh yeah, yeah was after prison jake's supposed to go to a strip club and go in the back room with a the stripper, then come out a few minutes later. And, uh, and they took that out because, but that kind of plays to Jake's character in the beginning of the movie. He's almost like selfish. too dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah He's yeah, yeah. selfish and like yep. only just cares about himself. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And then he sees the light. Yeah. And then, and, and that seeing the light and them saying, like, we're on a mission from God is basically them saying, orphans are really important. And we know that because we were orphans. Mm-hmm. And so we have to do what we can to save this orphanage. Yeah. And then everything else is kind of like – and it's not an amount of money that's, like, objectionable. Like, it's, like, $5,000. So you're yeah. like, none yeah. of, like, none of this should be happening, but it is, and that's why it's funny. Mm-hmm. So I think that by the end of the movie – I think by the end of the movie, it is Jake sort of realizing that he can use his powers that he's used for evil – but use them for good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I don't think there's a, as much change in Elwood. Cause I think Elwood is kind of more the guy who's like, I do what I need to do. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I just do what I need to do. Yeah. And then like, so then when Jake has the big turn and Jake uh, turns to Elwood and is like, we're on a mission from God, we got to do this. Elwood is like, yeah, I'm the guy that helps you do what you yeah. need to do. So yeah. Yeah. let's do it. Yeah. So I don't know that there's a lot of change in Elwood, but I do think there's a pretty big change in Jake.
1: But I think it's funny is that he, he, I agree, he does change from a selfish only care about himself. Yeah. Hey, I got to do this for you, right? But he ends up in the same point yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: that they got previously. You know, right. he's in jail. You know, <laughs> right, right. So I think that's kind of funny. But if you compare that to like your Iron Man, oh yeah, character arc, yeah, this movie is a lot more about like just middle of the road, like yeah, just cruising along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Iron Man really has really those goes through ups and downs yes. of the character. So there's not much more character arc in here right. versus right. that one. But I still think that uh, it does show Jake is a better character yes. near yes. the end of the movie.
0: Well, it feels like, so it feels like characters that could have like four or five more movies. And a lot of times characters, when they're in that many movies, they don't, their character arcs are not as big. Indiana Jones, for example. Yeah, yeah. Indiana Jones is like, mm. there's these like little tiny developments in his character. Yeah. Because they like know he's going to be around for a while. Like a yeah. miniseries an episode. Exactly. You're not going to have an
1: Iron Man character arc exactly. in a series. episode. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Now, Iron Man is, is a special case because even though he is in multiple movies, um, you'll notice that they'll have one movie where he has lots of character development like mm-hmm. Iron Man 1 mm-hmm. and then he'll be in the Avengers and have like zero character yeah. development. Yeah. So so it's like okay well we only put the characters through various arcs so that they're not any different than when they began the film. Like mm-hmm. even even uh we're going to get another Thor film coming up here in a bit in in the summer. And if you track back through the Thor films, Thor the first film, a lot of character development. Mm-hmm. Avengers none right like then Thor the second film kind of the similar character development as he had in the first one Mm -hmm. but this was more focused around leadership kind of as opposed to like him being king or whatever yeah and then the then the the third film brings about him being what everyone was calling like Fat Thor or whatever (laughs) that was funny but even as even as for lack of a better term Fat Thor um if that offends people I, I apologize but that is what people called him even in that uh, Avengers Endgame where he's playing that role, there's an indication that his character may develop but it doesn't necessarily develop in yeah. that particular film. Yeah. Like, it's a little bit of yeah. development but we're going to get most of that next development in mm-hmm. the upcoming mm-hmm. Thor mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. So that's handled a little bit differently but I think these characters could have been like, they're almost more like this character development that you'd see in like SNL sketches. It's like just a little bit and then yeah. just a little bit more. yeah, just a little, yeah. Bit, more, just a little yeah. bit more and then just a little bit more. Um, so that would could be kind of my take. Is it like when you know you're gonna have a character who's gonna be around for a long period of time, you can't just keep developing like it's unnatural for like like you and I yeah. we're living normal lives. I we, don't have
1: a character develop.
0: <laughs> well, actually you probably do, but it's it's over the course of a decade. Yeah, not yeah. two hours. Yeah. yeah, like not you know, so I think that I think that like it's hard if if and it's also hard because generally speaking most human beings will go through like two to three major things that they have to deal with mm-hmm. in their lives. So whether it's like alcoholism or really tragic family loss or, um, you know, health issue that mm-hmm. you face, you usually will deal with like a handful of those in your life over 80 years. Mm-hmm. So you have lots and lots of time to yeah. develop. Yeah. So, but if I take you and I say like, here you are, you're a character, two hours, you have to do, you have to become, you have to go from becoming like, on your way to becoming an alcoholic to being an alcoholic to getting it over, getting right, over it. Right. And then the next movie comes out and you're like, well, what do we do now? Well, crack cocaine. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like that, that starts to feel like, um, that starts to feel like, whoa, like you're rushing through a lot of things that mm-hmm. we normally don't go through in that amount of time. Yeah. So in other words, usually there's like a central theme of our lives or several c- central themes where there's a couple things that we really struggle with and we have to overcome those things to become better people. Yeah. But If you have, if you force like five of those big things on a character, it's kind of like, whoa, like that's not really very realistic. Right. It's hard for us to like buy into the fact that that's happening. Yeah. Which is why with Iron Man, with Thor and some of those characters, it's sort of the same issue that sort of comes up again, Mm -hmm. but in a new way. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, yeah. It's like Thor is his arrogance and it's his arrogance about being the prince. And then in, in Thor the Dark World, it's like his arrogance about. Potentially being worthy of million year and being the king, and then mm-hmm. the third one is like, well, now it's his worthiness. So it's it's like the same yeah. kind of concept of like we're always fighting yeah. our own inner demons, like great. Right? like that kind yeah. of thing. But um, but yeah, I don't know. This
1: well, the, go ahead. I was saying it's the same thing with the Blues Brothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they yeah. Start yeah. the movie, they're just getting out of jail, right? And they end the movie, they're getting right back into jail again. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, right,
0: right. Exactly, exactly. Um. So let's let's do. Uh, any other thoughts about the Blues Brothers? Lots, but we're out of time. (laughs) (laughs) We're closing out on our time. Um. But yeah. So if uh, if if everybody uh, wants to have a good time, go back. Especially if you want to hear some good music. Yeah. Go back and watch the Blues Brothers. I had forgotten. What
1: was your favorite performance? Ooh, this is a good
0: question. I know mine. Um. Well, James Brown is always fun. Yeah. Um. By the way, speaking of SNL and James Brown. One of the funniest uh, SNL skits, in my opinion, is Eddie Murphy doing the James Brown hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> Too hot in the hot tub. Yeah. I, I, that's a great. That is so funny. Yeah, um, I love that. I love that. Anyways, um, favorite musical performance in the film?
1: I'll tell you mine. What are yeah. you thinking? I like. Um, I, I like the Ray Charles one. By the way, the Ray Charles one. Yeah, there is. Um, uh, there's a Barry Sachs in the okay. recording, but you can't see the Barry Sachs. There's no Barry Sachs. Really? Player. Yeah. So they dubbed that over. Interesting. I think they dubbed the whole song over. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite one was McIntyre Murphy and Aretha Franklin.
0: Oh yeah. yeah in yeah, the yeah. cafe.
1: That was the, awesome. the funny part about that is he's getting pushed around the whole time by her. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 like yeah, He's just here, and they end the scene, and he's sitting in the chair. Yeah. And she's like pointing at him, like you know, <laughs> right, right, right. And he's like. I'm leaving. I yeah. Like he yeah, knew the yeah. whole time he was going to leave, yeah. but he was better for him just to leave quietly than to say, <laughs> yeah. are you with her? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. so I thought that was an awesome performance. I heard, uh, one of the backup singers is Aretha Frickland's sister. Oh, you know, no way. And then blue Lou hops on this, the, the counter. Yeah. Saxel Yeah. Awesome performance. That and Ray Charles are my favorite.
0: So. Uh, I was thinking about this for a while and I was like, okay, I, I know exactly which one it is. There are two that I really, really liked. Um, the first one is rawhide. Ah. And it's because I, I that's the first time you ever really hear them sing, I think. Um it's their first, isn't it yeah. their
1: first performance? Well, the first performance was the um the first time that the band was playing was Ray's Music Exchange. Oh, that's before. Ray charles Oh, is you're playing.
0: right. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're yeah. right. So, but I was really surprised because I that was the moment where I was like, Oh, they're really good singers. Like, yeah, like this is actually like yeah. legit, you yeah. know. Um, so I really liked that performance because it was you know it was again they wanted to play rhythm and blues, but nobody wanted well, them to do it
1: How did they fill a whole night's worth
0: <laughs> you know we <laughs> just know. heard we,
1: we heard him struggle <laughs> for two songs <laughs> know, and all of a sudden the end of the night Yeah, anyway. <laughs> pu
0: um but I think that that's so that was really impressive but my favorite favorite, and if I could go to a concert, yeah, this would be my like my jam. Yeah. I would like, go to yeah. this concert all day long. Is the Cap Calloway song at the end?
1: Really? Yeah, <laughs> I love that
0: because I love the I love the like the big band vibe. Yeah, like that kind of vibe is yeah. like I love that kind of stuff. And so and he just has a very iconic voice, yes. and the way he does things is yeah. so good. Yeah, that um, yeah, I would have that was that was probably my second favorite i do like their performance at the end too
1: that the, the iconic scene of them walking out with the briefcase yeah and um jake's yeah, the yeah. key, and i was and they unlocked the briefcase like what's in this like, like what what are they what's so special they're locked up right. for under handcuffs and, you yeah. know it's a harmonica
0: that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome well so in 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 just to say this too i let i love ray charles I'm not as big of an Aretha Franklin fan, which mm-hmm. may be like mm-hmm. heresy to a lot of people, but like for whatever reason, that's just not my jam as much, but like I'm, a, I am a really big fan of Ray Charles, who I think mm-hmm. is amazing, but that's not necessarily my favorite Ray yeah. Charles song.
1: So uh, the reason I love that song so much yeah. is the line uh,
0: in that song.
1: I believe Donald Duck Dunn's playing bass there. Okay. Um, and uh, one thing I love about—he's one of my favorite bassists. Oh, okay, he's okay, he's okay. way underrated, I think. Yeah. Um, he sits there and plays the bass, and it looks like he's just like chilling, yeah, like at a bar or something. And the bass he's playing is like his fingers are like doing crazy, <laughs> crazy stuff with yeah, his, yeah. Like I don't know, he's like performing surgery with his <laughs> fingers, and he's just like smoking a pipe, you know? Right, right, right. Um, so the bass line on that tune is phenomenal and then the same thing for the recent franklin song yeah um, yeah I think yeah. the baseline on that one is yeah so, those are the two things that ios yeah that about. makes sense
0: that makes sense and the, and the the james brown scene is really fun but that scene is played a little bit more for comedy than it is for the music
1: yeah yeah, yeah. I, I feel like and so my understanding is is that the james brown was the only one that that um um did it live. Oh, okay. Everything else was dubbed in the studio. Oh, wow. I believe because yeah. James Brown, you know, he wants perfection. Yeah. yeah, 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 you know? yeah, yeah. And that's another great band too. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like the other performances are focused on the performance. Yes. And that was focused on the Jake scene. getting the light Yes, yes and yes. the dancing and the church scene. Yes. And I'm like, I just want to like close my eyes and listen to the music. I don't yeah, want to, yeah, I don't yeah, want yeah, yeah. to really see all that. Stuff. That
0: one, that one's more distracting. It's, it's yes. a, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a, it's a performance as opposed, sorry, it's a, it's a performative piece as opposed to a music piece. Yeah. And then the, so you can perform music,
1: yeah, but yeah. if the
0: music is the focus, that's right. different than if the comedy is the focus right, right. where you, where you mentioned earlier, like these people are like flipping around <laughs> and jumping around yeah. and like, that's, that's a distraction from yeah the performance is distracting from the music yeah. as opposed to adding to now, it. Now the
1: dancing on Ray Charles that they're like dancing to the music, yes, clapping, yes, yes they're yes. doing the moves. yeah, that kind of goes hand in hand. Well, same with the of Franklins too, yeah, like yeah, that's that's a, that's a number where it's yeah.
0: augmenting the actual, but this is more because he's not singing a song, James Brown, yeah. I mean, I mean he's singing he's, he's words, oh landmark yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. but yeah, it's just not the it's not it's not quite the same intent. So anyways, segment I am going to talk a little bit more about Moon Knight episode 5 this is the latest episode as of the re- as of today as of the recording of this and um you know a little bit of a spoiler alert this is probably my least favorite episode of Moon Knight yet and we'll get into why that is there are some deeper things that we could talk about here that I think are interesting but overall I was a little bit surprised by some of what we saw in this episode. And I believe we only have one more episode to go. So we're right at the end of our Moon Knight journey uh, together. And before I get into some of the specific, maybe more deeper questions or considerations that we could get into, let me first say what I kind of liked and or didn't like about this show. Um, I think that Mark's character development, it... This episode kind of takes us on a sharp right turn. The only thing that we knew about Mark and Stephen's family, uh, never heard of his dad before. This is going to have spoilers, by the way. Tons of spoilers in in this, obviously. Never seen Mark's dad before. Never heard of Mark's brother before. The only character that we had heard of related to Mark and this whole episode uh, was his mom. But the only thing we knew about his mom was that he was, um, you know, basically calling her and she was not really answering him at all. And um, I felt like we needed a little bit more context to that. There should have been a little bit more foreshadowing to what we were going to get in this particular episode. Most of the foreshadowing that we've got, we made a big deal about Mark's relationship with Layla. And what happened with her dad. We made a big deal about that. But if you'll notice, this show, this particular episode, kind of just glosses over that. You, can, you kind of just passes by them like theres there's Layla's dad, and yeah, like I, I wasn't I tried to get him out, but it didn't work or whatever. And yet we spend a lot of time on characters uh, that we've really never heard of before, or we're just kind of off to the side characters. The other issue I had with this particular show, Uh, This particular episode, I should say, is because I still love Moon Knight, by the way. Don't get me wrong about this, but this is just not my favorite episode. Um, I think that the previous episode should have ended, episode four, should have ended with them shooting Mark, but not in him, not in exploring the afterlife much. I think that this episode, last, like, they wanted to make the big reveal, the hippopotamus, which I can't remember her name, um, Tanawet or something like that. Anyway. They wanted to make that the big reveal, like, oh my gosh, this is crazy, and then boom, like, cut to end of episode, wait till next week to see, like, how that turns out. So one of the things that I think that I, um, one of the only critiques of this show, because it's well-acted, it's well-written, it's very intriguing, I'm not sure that, um, I'm not an editor, I'm not a professional editor, I'm not sure I would have edited this show together in the way that it's been edited, because a lot of times what I feel like when I'm watching this show is that it, it ends at weird points, it pieces together moments at, at weird times. Um, I think if we ended the show with Mark getting shot and sinking into the water, we could have started this episode with him exploring this concept of what it's like to be in this uh, afterlife of his own um, thinking, which of course does get a little convoluted too because the afterlife of his own thinking um, is this sort of For lack of a better term because i'm not as familiar with egyptian mythology they say it in the in the uh in the episode but it's before he ends up in the duat or before he ends up in the the fields the plains of of grass or whatever um we did get a marvel reference to the ancestral plane though we did get that um the uh, hippopotamus character did reference that that was kind of interesting so uh i think that that some of those things um some of the interesting parts of last episode don't get capitalized on here and I think they could have been I think integrated into this episode in a more interesting way. Um, I I also thought that the hippopotamus god was a bit of a strange thing to add into this particular episode. You have like this super heavy story about what happened with him and his mom and his brother and I don't mind that story. I wish we just would have had a little bit of a little bit more foreshadowing before we get here but you contrast that heavy super super heavy story with this like comical hippopotamus character who is kind of like i don't know what's going on and i'm not sure you know how to handle this and um that was odd to me that was an odd choice uh to go i don't mind i I will say this let me be positive for a second the show is taking really really big swings I love that. Just go for it. Go for the fences. See what happens. That's fantastic. But this episode was a little bit of a miss. There were some things in there that um, I didn't quite, I didn't quite understand too much, but let's dig a little deeper into it. There are several moments in this show that I think produced some pretty interesting questions. One of the things is, as we listen to, as as I, as I look at this um, episode, as I look at like, okay, so we're back in either Mark Spector's mind, in Stephen Grant's mind, or we're somewhere else, and obviously we get the answer to that in this episode. We uh, what's happening in the what we would would have called the real world as of episode four um, is actually happening, and this is a some sort of a purgatory before they end up in the Duat or before they end up, or maybe this is called the duot. Actually, maybe that's maybe I'm getting the terms wrong. Um, and so we are in this like holding center. That has been created by Mark and Stephen, in uh, in terms of where are they going to go next? They're going to go to heaven, or they're going to go to hell. Basically, right? Like the fields of the fields of grass are basically heaven, and then, then hell is basically like the the sand dunes that they sink down into, basically like a version of hell. It seems like here, and in the whole part of this episode that we have to kind of deal with here is. Will where will they end up? And the spiritual, uh, philosophical leaning of this film basically suggests that you have to come to terms with, after you've died, you have to come to terms with your behavior on earth, right? Like the literal scale metaphor is like, yeah, do you deserve, like, did you do more bad or did you do more good? And the show seems to suggest that if you regret doing some of the bad, that you can uh, elevate yourself into the place where you would be good. So it's almost like a life reflection. And if, in that life reflection, if you reflect that you weren't a very good person and then you can kind of balance back out that scales, almost as if you're asking for forgiveness for your sins after death. Um, And I think that that's, interesting i guess but they don't spend a lot of time on it it seems like it's like a a plot device to either move them in one way or another as opposed to them digging real deep into it which i don't expect them to dig real deep into it this is a marvel show so i don't expect that to get crazy um i do think that we spend spent a little bit too much time like with with this psychologist perspective of arthur harrow um and then trying to make you think that maybe this was fake or not real or like maybe this is all in his head um that actually ultimately seems like sort of a distraction from the main story of what's actually going on here so um i guess interesting i guess it's interesting but i kind of wish that the entire show had focused on maybe this problem Um, meaning the, the problem of, uh, is it in his own head or like how much is his mental illness affecting him? And what does that look like? And what's the metaphor for that mental illness The I think actually would have been more powerful if the entire show dealt with that. Um, what is compelling about this show is that, uh, Oscar Isaac is fantastic. And so he keeps us watching for sure. Um, and makes it, makes it more interesting. Um, I'm fast forwarding a little bit. I'm actually have it up on the screen here because I'm fast forwarding a little bit on some of the things just to make sure I don't miss anything. But it, they did confirm that they, they did die, and then now they're in the afterlife, and that's why this hippopotamus god is like helping them. And again, the hippopotamus god is like sort of a comedic personality. It's and it feels really off tone to the rest of the the rest of the episode. Um, one thing that they've been foreshadowing, basically since episode one or two, I can't remember. But one of the things that they've kind of indicated and it's gotten more serious and they completely abandoned in episode five, which I was really shocked by, was that there is a third personality that's... So even as this started unfolding, one of the things that I thought of was like, well, one of the reasons the scales won't bounce or balance, one of the reasons the scales won't balance is because we don't. We haven't seen the third personality and the third personality has to deal with some of this stuff too. And where did the third personality show up in Mark and Steven's lives, respectively, and like how did that come about? What we do get, though, is we do get an explanation of how the Stephen Grant personality came about. Basically, it was Mark Spector's way of escapism. Um, he would escape when his when his mom, who was basically driven to insanity by her son's death, when she would act out on that insanity, he would switch to the Stephen Grant character to avoid her torment. And that was kind of like a, his safe space was in Stephen Grant's personality, and then you know when he goes to his mom's funeral, um, that breaks for him, and now the two personalities he they, they're fighting for control all the time. It used to be that Mark chose when he was going to be Stephen Grant. Now Stephen Grant just takes over um, without Mark being able to prevent that from happening. But the real question I have is this: this particular episode raises way more questions than it gives me answers because I'm going well, where did the third personality come from? There's this idea that you've had a third personality this whole time. Was that created? And when was that created? Was that created because in the horrific events that you had to do, which we see more of in this episode, because we see kind of the backstory of like how they got to be here and like what they did to to balance the scales again. And um, so, but Mark talks about it as if he did those things. And yet to me, I felt like it was going to be that the third personality did a lot of those things. Now, we did get a caveat that all the people that Mark had killed as a mercenary working for Kanchu were all really, really, really bad people. I mean, so we get that as kind of like a, you know, something that we can at least, I guess, deal with. But I just felt like that whole thing was a little bit odd. Um, and then we have the, you know, we go from the the mental institution, for lack of a better word. Um, the hospital, the mental hospital, then we get to the ship that's taking them across the sand dunes. really cool CG. I mean that worked really well. There's some really cool CG later on in the episode when there's a fight with like, for lack of a better word, the sand people, <laughs> right? The people who are um, the people who Mark killed who are trying to drag him back into the sands of time. So um, I'm gonna have to watch this episode again before I really think through and maybe next week I'll even talk about it some more after I watch it a second time. I did like a a few of the things, like one of the things that this show does really well is that they include, um, the esoteric metaphysical aspects of what's going on in the physical. So for example, every room that they enter, maybe not every room, but a lot of the rooms that they enter, the scales are sitting there, right? And you have the feather on one side of the scales and their hearts on the other side of the scales. Um, and it's constantly like in, like constantly getting less and less out of balance. I thought that was cool. That's a cool visual effect that I liked. Um, again, like I feel I really feel like we should have seen Mark as a kid uh, earlier on. Maybe he's playing with his brother. You'll notice that like um, you could argue that the show Peacemaker which I really liked, right? You could argue that it's dealing with, from a from a standpoint of like, where does the lead character's trauma come from? It's very similar. I'm not gonna spoil Peacemaker for you, but it's very, very similar. And um, I think Peacemaker did a much better job of saying like, look, this is, um, the character's peacemaker, I can't remember his name, Christopher maybe, um, his earlier life, right? And here's what it kind of looked like and it's building towards something. So like there's two timelines. There's the current timeline and then there's the past timeline and both those things are impacting where the story is going overall. This is more like, yeah like this is the current timeline everything is really weird and bizarre and there's these weird egyptian gods like manipulating people and possessing them and stuff then boom we hit episode five which is i think the 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 penultimate episode there's only one more episode left in this series i believe so hopefully we're gonna get a season two because i would like to see more from this world and then all of a sudden it's like boom here's the family story and um that seemed like a lot all at once and that was um, a bit much for me personally i i didn't didn't love that particular aspect of it. I did think that there was some interesting uh, back and forth between Arthur Harrow as the doctor and um, Stephen and Mark and how they were interacting with one another. He says some things about like, well, is this sense or is this nonsense? And there's a lot of things that in, in there that were kind of interesting. But again, when as soon as we learned that this was just like a construct of of their mind, then a lot of that stuff kind of doesn't become as interesting especially philosophically interesting because it doesn't matter it's just like a figment of his own mind now the way this episode ends i thought was really crazy because we've already lost Kanchu. he's he's off the table he's not influencing anybody and we haven't actually seen him since we saw a flashback scene where we actually didn't see conchu really we saw the 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 giant um Representation of him as a statue, but we didn't really get to interact with him much. We he was talking to Mark, Um, but now we lose Stephen in the end of this episode. Stephen's lost, right? Like we don't have the character of Stephen anymore, and Mark ends up in the fields of grass. I think that so I did not expect this. (laughs) I did not expect any of this at all. I think I I will be a little bit disappointed if the only way this is going to be resolved is if they have to go back in time or if um, if one of the Egyptian gods has to then admit that they were wrong about Arthur Harrow and the only way they're going to conquer Arthur Harrow is to pull Mark out of the fields of grass, pull Stephen out of the sands of time, for lack of a better description, and then bring them back and establish Konshu again. I feel like that's what's going to happen, but I... I'd like it to be more interesting than that. I'd like it to be building to something more interesting than that. So um, not my favorite episode of Moon Knight. I still enjoy the show. Don't get me wrong. Episode four was fantastic. I really liked Layla's character. I liked Layla's character. You could have an entire show about Layla as Indiana Jane, (laughs) and I would love that show. That would be an amazing show. I would want to watch that show. Um, The show has been great Uh, until this episode, I think, which was fine. This is a fine episode. It's not a bad episode but we've seen such good stuff from Moon Knight that this one surprised me a little bit. Wasn't my favorite. I am curious to see what you thought of Moon Knight, episode five. Is this kind of one of your favorite episodes or is this like it is for me, like one of the episodes that's near the bottom? And what can we expect from episode six? I will tell you that uh, next week, so so long as we can make the schedules work out, Michael Young will be joining me. Can't wait to talk to Michael, one of my, one of my favorite people to podcast with. He will be joining me next Thursday, hopefully to talk about episode six of Moon Knight and the entire series in general. I haven't even talked to him. I don't even know what he's really thought about it. So I am curious to see what that looks like. Please leave me a comment down below and let me know what you thought of it. And if there were any philosophical questions that you'd like for me to address or any storytelling questions that you had that may have come up or bubbled to the surface that you would like to ask me, ask them down in the comments below. So we have to watch some more Star Wars movies so we can get back to that portion of this. Thanks for being my first ever in-studio guest in this studio. Thank you. And, uh... And we'll close it out there because our wives are going to be so mad at us that we were recording this for too long. <laughs> They're going to be, what are you guys doing? What are we're you guys doing? In such trouble. Yeah. So let me uh, go ahead and close out the show. That is it for today's show. Don't worry, new episodes of Story Geek show come out every Tuesday and every Thursday. On Tuesday, May third, I'll be diving back into the world of Tokyo Vice, and pretty soon we'll be getting into Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness. I believe that comes out. A week from tomorrow. I to yeah, I want yeah. to see that too. It looks amazing. And then there's also going to be Kenobi in the end of May. Kenobi's coming out on Disney Plus. Really? Which you're way too far behind to be able to watch Kenobi. You have a long way to go to watch Kenobi. Uh, we'll get there eventually. Uh, so there is some great stuff on the horizon. Make sure you subscribe to the Story Geek Show on YouTube or on your preferred podcast provider so you don't miss a single episode. All episodes are published to the podcast feed right after I finish recording them here on YouTube. Leave me a comment and let us know what you thought about the Blues Brothers. If you haven't watched it in a while, go back and watch it again and let us know what you thought about it. Or on Episode 5 of Moon Knight, especially if you're listening to the podcast version of this, have a great weekend. All good. I'll see you next Tuesday.
1: Thanks, (laughs) Jake. Yeah.